Are you okay over there? It doesn't want to come out. <laughs> That's why I have the electric one. It's plastic. It's just a wine stopper. Because I've already opened this. Oh. You know what you should get? What? There are these corks that you can put um, on bottles where they're also like a pouring thing. Oh, yeah. I've seen those. And those have caps. They work really I well. Do you know where I could get one of those? I got mine at Meyer, I think. Okay. I, I might go to Meyer. I got then. it for my gin because I used it so often. So. The best hack I've learned on the internet. Rubber band to get things off. It has helped you twice on this podcast alone. <laughs> <laughs> no, three, because one was when we were still, like, recording in person. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had had that when I was trying to open my St. Germain bottle a couple of weeks ago because I smashed that fucking thing open on accident. Yeah. I shouldn't have laughed. I'm sorry. I tried running it under, like, cool water. I tried, like, running it under warm water, which was the wrong thing to do because it made it impossible yeah. to open. Yeah. And I know why, but I, the cold water wasn't working. And in my mind, I was like, well, it might be sticky because that, like, St. Germain gets sticky. Mm-hmm. And I was like, maybe I can just, like, it'll just, like, work its way in there and then it'll, like melt no (laughs) no it did not work Mm -mm. Mm -mm. nope yeah fun fact though um the tops of coke bottles will or like just soda bottles will fit on top of a saint germain bottle oh Mm -hmm. that is a fun fact yep because that is what is on top of mine I read online, I don't know what I read it on, Pinterest probably, and it said, don't just talk to your tarot cards when you want to know something. Talk to them. Ask them how their day was. So I did that last night, and my tarot card's response was pretty much like, eh, it was a day. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) at least you're on the same wavelength, because that's very you. (laughs) Yeah, and then I was like, well, is there anything I can do to help? And I was like, and it its response was, well, you're pretty much doing a lot, so no. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, okay, okay, thank you, but okay. <laughs> it knows. It knows, it knows. It's, um, I have to do that again because that was really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I have not touched mine in like a week and a half. Oh, yeah, no. It's what? it's over in my um my corner where all of my stuff is. Is your window open? Yes, you can okay. hear the crickets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, that's definitely not me. Okay, <laughs> hello, 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 hello. Welcome back. I am Rachel, and that is Grace. I'm Grace, and that is Rachel. You know who we are. You know what this is. If you don't, welcome. 
we welcome, won't explain welcome, it. welcome, and thank you to our new listeners. I know for a fact we have one new listener. So <laughs> good, welcome, yes, good, welcome. Thank you. Where are we this week? This week we are in the Dominican Republic. Ah, yeah. yeah. My sources are localhistories.org and studycountry.com. I was going to use BBC, but I didn't want to. Yeah. So, I didn't know this, but the Dominican Republic forms part of the island of Hispaniola. Before, oh. the, Yeah, before the Europeans arrived, people called... Oh my god, I forgot a huge thing. Oh no. No, for us to talk about... Oh my god. Okay, so I was looking up how to say, like, the native people of where we are today, mm-hmm. and which is the Tainos, and... Oh yeah! I went to Google it, I just Googled the word Tainos, and it's... Oh, I don't even know. It's so weird. I just clicked, and you know how Google, like, when you Google something, it's got that little speaker, and it. it's got that little mouth yeah. that's that, like, moves along with the word, but doesn't actually say it. Anyway, so I clicked on that little speaker, and it was my voice. And then she had me do it, just to see if maybe, you know, the phones are copying our voices and repeating them back to us. And No, I, it, it was her exactly. voice. Exactly, and I tried it with so many other like words i tried it with like i i tried it on my parents computers i tried it on like my phone and it just kept on coming up and i was like what the hell is this and i'm just gonna add it in here so like listen to to the to this tell me that's not my voice that's tino tino that just Tino, it's my voice. So, whoever is Grace's voice doppelganger, please reach out to us. <laughs> yes, let me know because I, I've never I googled it and I couldn't find anything any like similar at all. I don't know how that happened. I don't think I've ever said the word before. Mm. That's so weird. And ugh. Anyway. Anyway, uh, the Taino, which were an Arawak people, lived there December of 1492. Christopher Columbus, I know, so long ago, 1492, (laughs) Christopher Columbus landed at the northwest side and called the island Española, which was later uh, anglicized as Hispaniola. Spanish settlers founded San Domingo in 1596, and after a hundred years, European diseases and war had almost wiped out the Taino people. Meanwhile, the like Spanish claimed ownership to the whole island, but they settled mainly on the east side, which is what's now the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. During the 16th century, large numbers of enslaved Africans were brought into the island and they were forced to work on sugar plantations. But the west of the island was left, like, alone. And in the 17th century, the French settled there. Finally, in 1697, the Spanish and the French signed a treaty of Ricewick. France was given the western third of the island of Hispaniola. And the rest of the island remained in Spanish hands. And that French half, which is the part that really, like, 
blew my mind that I did not know it, that French half actually became Haiti. Really? Yeah. So Haiti and the Dominican Republic share an island. I love that. I had no idea. That's amazing. So the rest of it remained in Spanish hands. Haiti became independent in 1804, but in 1821, the Haitians occupied what is now the Dominican Republic until 1844 when they became independent. Its first president was Pedro Santana, but he made himself a dictator, basically. Right. Yeah. The Dominican Republic also suffered a number of invasions from Haiti, and in 1861, Santana made the Dominican Republic a province of Spain. The Spanish basically, like, got rid of him in 1862, and in 1863, there was a revolt of the people. This led to, eventually led to a war called the War of Restoration, and leading to the Spanish to withdraw in 1867. Unfortunately, afterward, there was a lot of political instability and internal, like, strife in the Dominican Republic. And then in 1916, the USA, afraid that Germany might intervene in the Dominican Republic, occupied the country. Yeah. Well, gee. And Hmm. this occupation lasted until 1924. Elections were held and Horatio Vasquez became the president. But in 1930, Rafael Trujillo staged a coup and became dictator. Trujillo ruled the Dominican Republic for 31 years until he was assassinated in 1961, after which the uh, elections were held and Juan Bosch led a new government. Then the army staged a coup the year later, and in 1965, the people rebelled, but the U.S. intervened, as we do. Of course. President Johnson sent U.S. Marines to the Dominican Republic, so, Mm. yeah. Mm. A provisional government ruled for a year until 1966, when Joaquin Balaguer was elected president. And he was president until 1978, and there was some economic development while he was president. So he was president until 1978, and under him, some economic development took place. He was replaced, but he, that guy, completed suicide uh, in 1982. Afterwards, Jorge Blanco was president until 1986, when Balaguer replaced him. And he was re-elected in 1990 and 1994, but the election was rigged. Oh, jeez. Of course it was. Which would you would think that would mean, like, he, sh- he would not continue. But because, mm-hmm. like, to avoid violence, an agreement was made. Like, so he agreed to step down after two years. That's not very long. So, like, he did yeah. not actually win the presidency, but he got to continue. Okay. And that leads us to today, where the Dominican Republic still exports sugar and coffee, but tourism is, like, rapidly... Growing. Like, yeah. Growing a lot. I mean, not currently. Well, no, not currently, you know, with the pandemic. Um, (laughs) And, like, the Dominican Republic is, like, technically poor, um, but the economy is growing Mm -hmm. pretty steadily. And some of the most um, popular places to visit are Santo Domingo, Punta Cana, many beaches, just so So many many beaches, beaches. (laughs) just so many beaches. I mean, it's literally half an island. It's like mostly beach. I mean, I, yeah. Um, I I mean, there's like whale watching. There's like so much stuff you can do and it looks gorgeous. Either way, it's just an absolutely 
gorgeous place and once it is safe to do so you should go 100 percent. those waters beautiful so So beautiful so beautiful i would burn in an instant to see those waters i mean i would instant i know i mean i would go i would still go (laughs) i would still go it's just i would burn i mean just so fast that's so pretty. So, Rachel, what is your story? Insert silence. Crickets. <laughs> so, my story this week is about the murder of Jose Rafael Ginas Aybar. Okay. My sources are two Wikipedia articles, one of which is actually in um, Spanish. So, yeah. Uh, Murderpedia diariolibre.com dominicantoday.com listendirio.com and youtube.com a video uh, titled what happened to jose gina abiar by username mills so my story contains a brief mention of sexual assault that may be triggering for some listeners so if that pertains to you i'd advise that you fast forward about 20 to 30 minutes to grace's story like this person I picked this case because it was a very high-profile case in the Dominican Republic due to its nature. The victim was 12-year-old Jose Rafael Junius Abar. He was mm. part of an upper-middle-class family who had many ties to, you know, very high-up people. And they were even related to the ambassador of Argentina at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So on May 3rd, 1996... Jose called his mother while she was at work, asking for permission to go with his cousin Mario Jose Redonado Genes uh, and Mario's friend Moline Rodriguez to attend an engine show at the local supermarket. Uh, this was a very normal request because the parents were very involved in their children's lives due to their connections, just for safety pr- precautions. And typically, Jose would only go anywhere if his parents were accompanying him or they were the ones to personally drop him off, which, at 12, completely understandable. Yeah. Now, Mario, as a first cousin, was super close with the family and even lived just right across the street. So, you know, there is no reason not to trust him. He's family. Mm -hmm. You probably see him every day if he lives right across the street. I mean, it's like... I mean, like your kid's friend becomes. Well, it's it's literally. Did you say it's, it's, his, it's cousin. his cousin? Yeah, it's his cousin. It's his cousin. <laughs> it's his cousin who is. Um, I mean, granted, he's nineteen, but it's it's a cousin. Oh, it's a cousin. So his mother agreed that you know Jose he could go with his cousin, but he needed to be home by five because they had plans later that night. About an hour later, she received a call from Mario stating that her son requested to be dropped off at the bowling alley in order to meet with some friends. Mario then told her that Jose claimed she could just pick him up from there later. Now, she thought this was odd, but agreed that she would pick him up from the bowling alley. However, after getting off the phone, she just couldn't shake the odd feeling about all of it and decided to just go on over there and pick Jose up. When she arrived to the bowling center, she couldn't find him anywhere. And when she then checked the supermarket, not only did she not find Jose, she also discovered that there had been no engine show that day. Hmm. She immediately called her cousin in order to help her find him. And, you know, the entire city or community got together at this point in order to help search for him. You know, even his cousin Mario joined in in the search later. 
when mm-hmm. he found out his cousin was missing. Because, you know, that's, that's what you do. Yeah. I was going to say earlier, like, I completely understand that mom being, like, weirded out because I can't imagine us, like, being dropped off and then, like, going somewhere completely different without being, like, I gotta tell my mom. Right. Like, maybe other people were a lot more independent well, but- <laughs> when they were kids, but, like, sure. I feel like that's, I wouldn't just be like, hey, can you tell mom? Thanks. Mm. Yeah. That wasn't something we did, but I know people who, who would do that. Yeah. So. Um, okay. The following day, Jose was found, not the way anyone wanted, lying in a creek bed 24 kilometers northwest of the ho- of their home city, Santa Domingo. Mm. He was bound in duct tape and suffered 34 stab wounds just all over his body. Holy shit. While this was tragic in and of itself, the funeral needed to be held ASAP, according to Dominican culture. Even though, you know, this is clearly a murder. Right. Funerary processes were held before an autopsy was done. And this unfortunately caused permanent loss of evidence, such as, you know, knowing which weapons might have been used and how many attackers there might have been. His clothes, however, were turned into police custody, but they were later lost. (gasps) No. While the crime scene was eventually put under control, this wasn't until after dozens of people had already passed through. And this unfortunately Aww. severely hindered the investigation. As you will find, um, a lot severely hindered the yeah. investigation. So according to one source, what actually happened? Mario took his cousin to the engine show. When they finished... They left and took Jose to the home of his friend Juan Manuel Molinero Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. The two men drove around town with Jose for a bit before tying his hands and feet together and throwing him in the trunk of the car. Why? They stopped near the Lebron string in order to discuss what they were to do with Jose. They couldn't let him go because despite the fact that he cried out saying he wouldn't tell anyone, they knew that he would. Mario then called Jose's mother, informing her that he just dropped him off, and then they brutally murdered him. However, the two men didn't take into account that Jose had a piece of paper clenched in his hand showing a phone number belonging to a Kimberly Caldas, who was Moline's girlfriend at the time. Oh. Moline and Mario were arrested on Sunday, May 5th, and both confessed to the crime. Mario claimed that during police interviews, his statements had been recorded. However, the police argued that these recordings never existed. Oh. And because Mario claims that they do exist, he says that the police either lost the tapes or were hiding them. Oh. During the investigation, Mario pointed fingers at another relative. The ambassador of Argentine. Oh, Her husband. No. Ooh. Yep, Teresa Machia's husband, Louis Palmas de la Calzada, and their son, Martin Palmas Machia. According to Mario, he did kill Jose, which we know, but under the orders of his uncle, which was Louis Palmas de la Calzada. Because if he did not kill Jose, then his younger sister would be killed. Why? He also claimed that in a period of four months, he had witnessed drug deals done by the Palmas 
other murders, and he even had been the victim of, sorry, 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 um, he claims to have been the victim of sexual abuse okay. by them, which was then videotaped by his uncle. Oh, shit. But there, there was no videotape, there's no video recording were found, so. The Palamas denied everything. However, there were several factors that really cast doubt over their denial. Where Jose's body was found was very close to a dog breeding facility that was owned by the family. Mm. And when they were accused of all of the above, they resisted cooperating with the proper authorities and claimed diplomatic Mm. immunity. Yeah, I was worried about that. And ultimately, they shattered their reputations, any possible future career opportunities, and left all of their assets to their 18-year-old son, who was now a suspected murderer. Oh. While they just up and left the country. (gasps) Oh, shit. Yeah. With this game of he said, she said, the police worked tirelessly to find more evidence. The suspected vehicle that was used to transport Jose, so, you know, Mario's car, was taken into police custody for tests to be run. However, there's always a however. Of course. It was instead repaired and assigned to active police service only three days after the murder. What? How? Mm-hmm. 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 What? So, I mean, do you, do you, do you see a pattern? Yeah. Like, I... there's, there's a lot of, I hate to say it, but there's a lot of incompetent police work here in... The rules and regulations were not necessarily completely followed. No, I... It, that blows my fucking mind. How do you take... And it's not even... Hasn't even been three days. You still have all of this evidence you need to go through. What? Like, mm-hmm. you don't have a body to do an autopsy on. So you should get every bit of evidence that you need. I don't understand how... Well, they did the autopsy, but they did the autopsy after the funeral. Oh, I but assumed. It, no, sorry. That was... I didn't word it correctly. They did the autopsy, but they did it after the funeral. However, because of all the processes they go through for the funeral, the autopsy came up inconclusive. Oh, okay. Other than I the assumed, fact that he had been stabbed 34 times. I assumed he had just been, like, buried. Okay. No. Mm-mm. Nope. They did the autopsy after the funeral, but... It, so even then, with an inconclusive autopsy, you would think you would want all of the evidence mm-hmm. possible. Mm-hmm. Ugh. I'm, I'm just going to say right here, I do not like this case. No. I do not. I mean, for obvious reasons, I don't like it. But I do not like it because of how they went about solving it. At least based on the general understanding I could get from whatever article I could find online. And there was very little... For an infamous case in the Dominican Republic, this very little. Yeah, kind of surprising. So anyway, this pattern of incompetent police work was even the case when assigned a magistrate who were going to do their own investigations. So in the Dominican Republic, while trials are being held, a magistrate is appointed and they have to do their own investigation in order to prove or disprove what the police propose has happened. In this case, several things did not go the way that they were supposed to. Because of the nature of the case and the high-profile suspects of, you know, murdering, Yeah. the magistrate Alexis Henrique 
requested extra security and protection. However, the officer who was assigned to him, according to Mario, was a bodyguard who had worked for Palmas and Machia. Mm. And he was apparently present on the day when Martin Palmas Mechia gave the instructions to Mario to kill Jose. It's just lining up so well. The magistrate was somehow able to obtain video footage proving that the Palmas Mechia family was involved in the murder. Who? Oh. However, that information went missing out of his office. Of course it did. Of course it did. Oh my god. Also, because of the high press coverage at the time, there were continuously leaked information regarding the case, which just kind of put the whole thing in jeopardy. Yeah. And allowed potential suspects to just cover their tracks. Like, you know. Yeah, like there's a reason there are gag orders for certain cases. Right. Police investigations concluded that the crime was a kidnapping with the intent to ask for a ransom of 700,000 U.S. dollars. Did his family have that? They they were middle class. Middle right, class right. doesn't have $700,000. But there, there was no information or evidence to prove that a ransom was ever even requested. Yeah. Then there were speculations that there were possible sexual motives, but there was no evidence showing any type of abuse to him. Mm. And really, despite lack of evidence on anything, including motive, the trial ended in January of 1997, which proved that Mario and his friend Moline were guilty in the murder of young Jose. That's actually surprising. I'm surprised they got any evidence whatsoever or anything. I'm surprised they got a conviction. Right. Um, They were both sentenced to the max penalty of 30 years in prison and charged 300,000 US dollars each in damages to the victim's family. I'm sorry, how long? 30 years in prison. It was the max sentence. I heard something completely different. Then in 1999, an appeal was presented, which reduced Moline's sentence to 20 years since he was only, only an accomplice. Only. Then in 2007 and 2009, he also requested to be paroled. For good behavior. Mm. No. Both of them were denied, and he was released in 2016, but that was because his... 20 years was up. Uh. Mario, however, did not request any sort of appeal or parole until November 5th of 2013 when he asked to be released on parole for good behavior. And as a part of his request, he apologized to his aunt and uncle for killing their son, stating that what he did was wrong. He knows what he did was wrong. I mean, it doesn't make up for it. So, um, that, Unfortunately, I don't I don't know whether or not he was released. I'm fairly certain he wasn't, but I don't know. <laughs> That's, uh... Um, yeah. And I do have to mention that this, again, this was a big case in the Dominican Republic because it centered around the, you know, such a prominent family. Yeah. Also, also, because the investigation somehow revealed that the Palmas Mechia family was involved in satanic rituals... <gasps> Which was a big no-no for a country that is predominantly Christian or Catholic. Yeah, holy shit. Like, they literally were? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, that, uh-huh. that is a big deal. But also, I mean, that that is the end of my story. But also, um, 
we we all kind of know that the I mean, granted, the right people were sentenced, but there, there's more to the story that but like has they not been obviously, released publicly. Yeah, that family obviously had something to do with it. And the police probably helped cover it up. Honestly, parts of it did sound like that, but I was like, maybe that's just me. I don't know. <sighs> anyway, that was the infamous story of the murder of Jose Rafael Gines Aibar. Well, mm. very unsatisfying story. I feel so bad for this kid's family. Like, just yeah. so bad. Dang. Okay, Grace, what is your story? Okay, my story is La Seguapa. La Seguapa? Seguapa. Seguapa. That's a fun word to pronounce. Okay, so my sources are Wikipedia. Uh, DominicanCult.blogspot.com, ColonialZoneDR.com, and RABrewster.com. RABrewster? Brewster. Brewster. I heard rooster. I, I, yeah. My brain censored out the B. <laughs> rooster. com. That's okay. My brain's been censoring out half of all of the words I've been saying, so that's cool. <laughs> It's fine. It's cool. Yeah. So a ciguapa is a magical creature of Dominican folklore that lurks in the wooden, wooded mountainous areas of the Dominican Republic. It's interesting because what they look like apparently depends on who sees them sometimes, but I couldn't find a lot on that. Like I just found references to that. They don't always look the same. Well, wow. okay, so they've been described as having a beautiful feminine form with brown or sometimes dark blue skin. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this is not what you think it is. Oh. I mean, it kind of, but no, no. Oh. So, like I said, they've often been described as having a beautiful feminine form with some with brown or sometimes dark blue skin, backwards feet, and very long, beautiful hair covering their very naked bodies. And large black almond shaped eyes. What is with these creatures that have backwards feet? So common in like South America and Africa. Yeah. They're, so these creatures are said to be nocturnal, coming out at night uh, to look for food, mainly fruit and vegetables and small animals, sometimes coming closer to the villages to steal their food when no one is watching. Then they climb to the top of a tree to eat and rest, like hiding from anyone that could be wandering around the area. Mm-hmm. It's often said that they'll bring death and that you shouldn't look them in the eye or you'll be permanently bewitched by them. And ah yes, only, that's my goal. <laughs> and the only to noises... be bewitched by a forest spirit. <laughs> yes, I, I too want to be bewitched by a forest spirit, but not this one. Um, oh. The only noises they seem to make are a sort of whine or chirping noise, similar to a bird. Uh, one one source said that um, she howls, but I don't. It was just it was, there was only one source. Uh, okay. At, a lot of the time, they're described as being similar to mermaids. Like, they're beautiful and cruel and attempt to capture farmers or wayward travelers in, I guess, more mermaidies. Many villagers' deaths and disappearances have been attributed to the Suwapas. Even nowadays, people living near the forest uh, know when they hear a bird-like noise at night, they should probably stay in their homes with their families. And similar to mermaids sirens and succubi you know they're said to be so beautiful that they can lure men into the woods to make love with to them their death. 
only to kill them. And often because of the position of their feet, you can never tell which direction they're moving by looking at their footprints. Mm. Yeah. Young boys and girls are warned against venturing out into the woods alone with stories of the creature that feeds on the flesh and souls of men. <laughs> one source, only one source, said that the Siguapa sings a sad, like, mournful song known as mm-hmm. Canto de Serena, or the mermaid song. Aww. And you'll never hear Siguapa speak words because, you know, of, they only have certain noises that they make. And that sometimes those whines can sound like a crying child. Aww. And apparently... The morning after a Siguapa cries, the rocks in the area where they were will be wet with their tears. And children are told if they stand by the shore facing the sea and yell a certain (laughs) rhyme or saying, then a big wave will break and will drown you in the sea. Wow. It's sort of like a Bloody Mary sounding thing. That like, it really is, yeah. Especially because it, it basically is saying, like, a name twice, and then your mother is a whore and mine is not. <laughs> um, and again, this was only one source, so take this with a grain of salt. Um, like, <laughs> grain of, a half whore, a grain of salt. Mine is not. Like, yeah. Like, mm. Mm. <laughs> Legends suggest that some are benevolent and don't want to kill trespassers. Like, some sources I found said that the Suguapa is very mischievous. That And like I said before, she likes to steal, like, meat and butter from people's homes. And she has been known to braid horse tails in the middle of the night, just, like, messing with people. But for the most part, she seems to be, like, the opposite, like, more deadly. Um, yeah. And there are even people today who say that they've seen one or they have, they have like, a friend whose who's cousin's cousin or uncle saw one once, you know, the regular. And those who survived an encounter with the Suguapa describe the forest as being still as if, like, birds and insects and animals had been scared away. Yeah. And then you hear these soft whispers and howls echoing Ooh. around you, drawing you in from all around until suddenly the creature reveals itself. You know, beautiful woman, <laughs> not very tall, like actually pretty, pretty short with large, yeah. dark and enchanting almond shaped eyes and dark hair that glows in the moonlight. And um, one of the most well-known stories about the Siguapa describes a sort of demon that lives deep in the caves, you know, luring lonely men with beautiful hypnotic stare before leading them back to her home where she consumes them, leaving only their bones, or she traps them forever for her personal desires. Sexual desires. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On the other hand, there's this sort of story about, like, a more lonely creature that like the one I mentioned earlier, how they like sleep in treetops and eat only fruit and birds and fish and small animals. And it's thought that this creature is a descendant of the race of people who lived within the secluded mountains long before the first indigenous people arrived. And it's thought that some by some that this is the original story of the Siguapa and that this was actually introduced by author Francisco Garidi in 1866 in La Siguapa, which is a short story of his. And in his short, short story, a young couple go down to the river to get some water and they're spied on by a male Siguapa, which I know, which, that, yeah. Mm, and three days uh, later, that girl who saw the Siguapa died. Uh-huh. And in the story, it's because of the Siguapa's jealousy. But, uh, oh my. 
yeah, and like in the story, the Saguapa isn't evil and doesn't hypnotize or attack anyone, and it's just more of an omen, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it's theorized that the legend like changed over time. And one other big difference of his version of the Saguapa is that in his his story, the creature doesn't have backwards feet, and that's like one of the biggest signifiers of the Saguapa, and especially in modern tellings. Yeah. So. A lot of people think that's just, like, his version of a story. Like, he just picked up bits and pieces because he wasn't even actually from the Dominican Republic. I think he was from Cuba. <laughs> Another really well-known story uh, is about how jealous Suquapas can get. There was a man who was wandering deep in the woods around his town when he came across a La Suguapa. He avoided her eyes, having heard that once you look into them, it's like... you're done for and it tugged at his clothes and began to make those chirping noises and as the sounds grew louder and more insistent he felt an urge to follow her but instead he ran back to his home to his wife and child but she followed him and upon seeing his wife flew into a rage attacking his wife and killing her (gasps) no yeah so that's like some of the stories that have been passed around are ones like that one thing I found was, how do you capture one? Yeah. Uh, apparently, the only way to capture a ciguapa is by tracking them at night, because obviously they're nocturnal, but it has to be during a full moon or on the eve of full moon, because in some versions, that's when she's the most active. And you mm. have to have a polydactylic dog with you, which is Five. a dog with extra extra paws. Extra paws. <laughs> <laughs> extra, extra thumbs. thumbs. Or extra toes, yeah. And, and it doesn't explain why, and it has to be, like, oh, either a white or a black and white dog with the extra toes. Okay. But some say that you shouldn't ever try to capture her because it actually would cause a lot of pain and distress, and within days, she would die. Oh. So, yeah. So no capturing of the ciguapas? Yeah, it says it's not a, not a good idea. I actually watched this uh, short film on YouTube someone did about the ciguapa in which a father and son are going through the forest and he's telling the son about the ciguapa. So the son sits down and ciguapa gets him. Mm-hmm. And when the father turns around, his son is gone. So he's like wandering around looking for his son and the ciguapa comes out from behind the trees and he follows her like he she hypnotizes him and he follows her to where she eats i guess and he she eats him and then yeah and it shows like what i'm guessing is supposed to be like the sun's like body like all that's left is bones and um but then the sun wakes up and it was just a a dream a dream yeah okay and he's like, oh, God, it's the Saguapa. And he says, or his father says, the Saguapa is a protector of nature. As long as you don't hurt nature, she won't hurt you either. Oh. Um, which is something none of my other sources said, but it absolutely makes sense when you think about it. Because, well, so like back to the origins of the legend, a lot of people think the origin of the Saguapa I- uh, myth is of Taino origin. But yeah. some scholars think that's more recent myth because of the similarities to European mermaids, 
Um, and that story written in 1866. And because there aren't any known Taino artifacts or lore that reference a Siguapa or anything similar, there's also uh, the thought that it stems from African beliefs brought to the island by um, enslaved people during the colonial period. But like we found creatures like this all over South America and Africa and the main difference with this one is that the creature is more beautiful and feminine as opposed to a shorter male seeming creature. So I think it's entirely possible that it's of Taino origin and so with like the way some describe it as being like mischievous and the feet being backwards and a lot of other creatures we found like that have been protectors of nature like the Chenequez in Mexico or the Choyotaki in Peru. So I mm-hmm. think it's really possible that it is and there's just like something that's been lost in translation with some other sources and so i think i think it could be i just didn't find any other source other than that one that said that it was okay i think that's interesting it's very interesting I do like that we keep covering cre- like creatures like this. This has been yeah. We do. We run into these creatures like all the time. I think this is like what is this? The, like the fourth. Yeah, the At fourth least. or fifth or something. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Um, but yeah, that was all I could find on the Seguapa, the mer- not mermaid or siren um, creature with backwards feet. The land mermaid with backwards feet. Yes. <laughs> okay, I really liked that. Because like also, I like the idea of a land mermaid. Just... It was very interesting. I I wish I'd been able to find more, but... Are there, like, artist depictions of this? Because I would love to... Yes, actually. Um, I think you'll find it very interesting. Some of them are, like, really beautiful. Some of them are not. And here, let me... <gasps> I love oh. it! Like, beautiful blue that, or yeah. brown woman with really long hair and yeah oh that's how you say it, or spell it siguapa yeah siguapa but yeah i do love it it's wonderful if you enjoyed that or if you didn't you can follow us on instagram facebook and youtube at myths and misfortunes or twitter at miss misfortune or you can search for us using our full name myths and misfortunes we'll be there be there be square <laughs> you can also send us an email to myths and misfortunes at gmail.com and please check out our website myths and misfortunes.com our theme music was composed by mckean fulbright and our art was created by heather marie atkins their websites can be found in the description below and please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on any and everything you can. We would super duper appreciate it. Yes, and if we are not on your favorite platform, please let us know. If you have to like yeah. physically search for us, please let us know. Although technically, we make sure if you haven't heard this, I don't know how you would let us know if we're not on your favorite platform if you like specifically listen on your favorite platform but like well because of someone like recommends yes okay yeah that like makes sense. hey that makes you can sense. find them sense. here yes. yeah yes yeah Alrighty. thanks so much for listening guys thank you thank you goodbye, goodbye.